0: Oh, Lord, you have given so many good gifts to us. Lord, how could we ever begin to mention them? And Lord, how could we ever stop if we were to continue to think upon them? Oh, Lord, in Jesus Christ, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Oh, Lord, in Jesus Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Lord, in your son, Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness, redemption, adoption unto your family. Lord, we have fellowship with you, the ability to commune with you and your people deeply, and Lord, the certainty that we will spend our eternity with you in heaven. Oh, Lord, we have much in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that you have given much to your church, and the Lord, you have blessed it, not, Lord, just with the truth of your Son, but also individuals who are capable of communicating him and his truth to your church family. I pray that you'll guide us, Lord, as we Talk about this today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most important images in the Bible is the often repeated analogy between shepherds and their sheep and God and his people. Just as shepherds were to guide and care for and provide for their sheep, so God's called out men were to guide and care for and provide for his people. The Bible is full of shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. And, of course, King David was a shepherd before he became the leader of Israel and acted as their spiritual shepherd who guided the people toward the Lord. However, the shepherds of God's people have not always been men of quality, which prompted the Lord to speak through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 34, verses 2 and 3, these words. Thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. And this further prompted the Lord to make a new promise through the prophet Ezekiel that a better shepherd would one day lead his people. In verses 14 and 15, it says, I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. Therefore, in light of that promise, it should be no surprise that when the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth, and began to relate his ministry to God's people, he took up that same kind of language. For he said in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And now he leads his flock by guiding them and caring for them and providing for them until the day that they all arrive safely home back into his heavenly fold. He is the master shepherd, whom the apostle Peter would later call the chief shepherd. And it is he who leads the church universal and is even the shepherd over every church local, including riverside baptist church so far beyond anything else that we might have as a church family and we have much we have the good shepherd over us but jesus in his good ministry to us has done even more than that for us part of what christ accomplished in the gospel wherein he laid down his life for us on the cross and purchased us out of our sins and restored us to God the Father and secured our eternal life through his resurrection was to provide us with good gifts which lead to our everlasting benefit. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12 this, And he, Jesus... He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He gave them to the church. Jesus Christ has given other shepherds and teachers, under shepherds you might think of them, who serve him by guiding and caring for and providing for his sheep by constantly directing them toward him in his word. My friends, pastors, a word derived from a Latin word which means to shepherd, pastors are a gift from Jesus to his church who shepherd underneath his divine authority and for the everlasting benefit of his people. And it is this office of pastor, those men who are the under-shepherds of the church, that we are going to consider today. Now, if you scan chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, you will not find the word pastor or shepherd anywhere in it. Nor will you find the word elder anywhere in those verses, but that is the office that is being referred to here. First of all, the role of pastor is certainly being addressed in this passage, as in verse two it tells us that this office is to be filled by men who are able to teach. And according to verse five, they are to care for God's church, which is the very ministry that pastors and elders are to fulfill. Furthermore, the title given for this office in verse 1 of our text is the word overseer. And that word overseer is used interchangeably with those other terms for this same office in the New Testament, elder and pastor. For instance, in Acts chapter 20, it says in verse 17 that Paul went to the church at Ephesus And it says, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. So Paul sent for the elders of the church at Ephesus to come to him. And then it says, a few verses later, uh, verse 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. That word care for, in Acts 20, verse 28, is the Greek word poimano, and in, in, in it's properly translated as a shepherd or, or a pastor. And, and the Apostle Peter, he connects all, the, all three of these words together. When, when he writes in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 2, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of god that is among you exercising oversight elder shepherd overseer these words are used interchangeably in the new testament overseer elder and shepherd or pastor refer to one and the same office for the church the word overseer refers to those who provide protective watch care over god's people The word elder has less to do with a man's age and more to do with the important role he has of church leadership. And the word pastor or shepherd refers to those who spiritually guide and care for and provide for those who have been entrusted unto their care. Therefore, in 1 Timothy 3, 1-7, it is instructing us in the office of overseer, elder, and pastor, one and the same church office given to the church by the Lord Jesus Christ as a gift of His grace. And praise God, He has currently given our church family four men to shepherd it under His divine authority. He has gifted these men to the church. They don't always feel like much of a gift, but they are a gift to the church. And today, we're going to learn two truths about the selecting of certain men to fill this vital office in the local church. First of all, pastors must have a God-given aspiration. That's the first truth. And the second truth is that pastors must meet essential qualifications. That's the second truth. Let's consider these both. The first truth pastors must have a God given aspiration. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. This office is of God. Paul, he begins by emphasizing the extra importance that he's about to teach in verse 1 by saying that this saying is trustworthy. He wrote that sentence back in chapter 1 when he wanted to emphasize a crucial gospel truth. In chapter 1, verse 15, he says, "...the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners." Paul is letting us know here in chapter 3 that what he's about to teach regarding the office of pastor is fully trustworthy as it comes directly from the Lord God, just as the truth about Jesus coming to save sinners is also directly from the Lord. But it must be made clear that this office is given only to certain men by God himself. Again, back in chapter 1, Paul referred there to his apostleship as a role that was given to him by command of God, verse 1 said. And that he was, according to verse 12, appointed to that service by the Lord Jesus himself. Furthermore, if we were to look at 1 Corinthians 12, we would see that Paul wrote that it is God who gives and empowers a variety of gifts in his church, including the gift of the pastoral ministry. And finally, Paul lays this argument to rest in that verse that we've already considered, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, when he says to those elders of Ephesus, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Indeed, the men who are given this office are given this office first and foremost by God himself which is incredibly humbling if you're in that office. And God gives this office to certain men by first implanting in their hearts an aspiration for this ministry. You see, this office is one that must actually be desired from a God-given desire. It's not one that men should take on who don't actually aspire to it. Verse 1, it says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. To aspire for something is to strive for it or to reach out for it and attempt to grasp it. It's kind of like ambition, only in a pure sense. It is to have a deep desire in one's heart for something and to reach out for it eagerly. On the negative side of this word, it's it's used later on in this very letter to speak of those who aspired or craved after something that was far less honorable. He'll say in chapter 6, verse 10, that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, same word, just translated as craving, through this craving, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So there is a bad way to aspire to things. But positively speaking, This aspiration is a deep desire of the heart to take up the church office of overseer. And understand, it is God who is in the business of giving his people desires when they seek him first before all things. One of my favorite verses in the Psalms is Psalm 37, 4, which says, "...delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart." It doesn't mean if you delight yourself in the Lord that he's going to give you the car that you've been wanting. It means if you delight yourself in the Lord, he's going to give you right desires to want right things. I want to start wanting right things. So I'm going to delight myself in God and he'll help me to want right things. That's what I think that verse means. And Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 13, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working in us, not just to enable us to do the work, but to give us the will, the desire to do the work that brings him honor. So God gives this office to certain men by first implanting into their hearts an aspiration for this ministry. And this desire is indeed a good, noble thing, as verse 1 tells us. However, let me caution us for a moment to adopt careful wording when we speak of God's work in directing men to the pastorate. Though language like calling might be accurate if it is properly defined in the scriptures, that word has led some men to conclude that since God has, at least in their minds, called them which usually means that they have some desire to be a pastor or they've had some emotional experience that points them in that direction, since God has called them in their minds that they should go forward and be ordained by a local church regardless of whether or not that local church sees them and agrees that they are qualified to be a pastor or an elder or an overseer. In other words... They let their present hopes or their past experiences, which no one ever wants to argue against someone's experience, they let their, past hope, their present hopes or their past experiences be in the driver's seat over this important matter instead of carefully listening to the collective voice of God's people in his church. There is no doubt in my mind that God gives certain men aspirations for this vital office. He did that for me. But those aspirations must be affirmed by the local church. Even Charles Spurgeon wrote that the will of the Lord concerning pastors is made known through the prayerful judgment of his church. It is needful as a proof of your vocation that your preaching should be acceptable to the people of God. Therefore, I'm inclined, like more and more ministry leaders today, to speak of one's aspiration to the pastorate instead of one's calling to the pastorate. Do you aspire to be a pastor? Well, that's good. Now let us watch you, observing your life while we teach and train you to see whether or not this desire is indeed from God. The final thing to note in verse 1, is that this office is noble. The word noble in the original Greek has to do with meeting a high standard that is set by someone else. In this case, it has to do with the high standard set for the specific purpose of pastoral ministry. This role, this ministry, this office, it is noble. It is good because it meets God's good standard for the care of His precious church which He purchased through the blood of His Son. And a man who aspires to this ministry desires something that is truly honorable and virtuous. For it is a ministry given by God to the church that his people might be well led by humble, Jesus-exalting men. Not perfect men, but humble, qualified men who live their lives to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ by knowing him deeply, by teaching him capably, and by serving his people sacrificially. So, I say to you men who are Riverside members who want to honor the Lord supremely in your lives and who have a desire in your hearts to preach and teach and guide and care for God's people through all of the dramatic ups and downs of life to consider this ministry carefully and prayerfully. That's our first truth. A pastor must aspire to this. Second truth today. Pastors must meet essential qualifications look with me at verses 2 and 3 therefore an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife sober-minded self-controlled respectable hospitable able to teach not a drunkard not violent but gentle not quarrelsome not a lover of money most of these qualifications should be the aim of every man, even every person in the local church. This is certainly the case in verses 2 and 3, where Paul lists 11 different characteristics which should be exemplified by a pastor. Now, of course, not every man in the church is going to be able to teach, as verse 2 says. That is a gift from God and one that's fanned into flame through the help of others. But every man in the church, though they may not be called to preach, not being able to preach and teach, every man in the church should be striving for these other ten Christian qualities. In fact, you'll find these very same qualities stated in other parts of the New Testament in more general ways for all believers to model. Now, before I talk about these important spiritual qualifications for a pastor, let me say that Paul simply cannot be demanding absolute perfection here. If so, then no man will ever be able to serve as a pastor in a local church. Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, he described his ongoing battle with sin in Romans 7. And he himself quarreled with Barnabas in Acts chapter 15. So Paul, the writer of these words, was not himself a perfect, sinless man. He even said of himself in Philippians 3 verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on, he says. He does not think of himself as a perfect man. It's not perfection that these qualifications demand, but a clear life example Demonstrated by men who desire to be elders over a church. Such men should be exemplary in these areas, though we cannot expect perfection of them at every point. So let's look over this list that pastors and potential pastors should exemplify. First of all, they should be, as verse 2 says, above reproach. This is perhaps the lead qualification that encompasses all of the rest here in one simple term. To be above reproach is to be irreproachable before others in general sinful blamelessness. It is to live a life that is above board and that is beyond the moral criticism of other believers. In other words... Other Christians should be able to say of such a man that he is a God-fearing man who lives righteously and who seeks to honor the Lord with his whole life through the strength given to him by the Holy Spirit. Not a perfect man, but a man above the moral censure of God's people. Secondly, an elder should be the husband of one wife. Or literally, a one-woman husband, or a one-woman man. It doesn't mean that he has to be married in order to be an overseer, because Paul himself wasn't a married man, nor did he have any children. But this does mean that an overseer should be a man who demonstrates a faithful commitment to just one wife, whom he clearly cherishes and leads with Christ-like humility. Now, I don't think this prohibits a man necessarily who has been divorced if either the divorce happened before he was a believer in Christ or if the divorce was due to a biblical ground for divorce, such as what we talked about when we preached through the book of Matthew. However, this man must exemplify before others a commitment to just one wife as a demonstration of Christ's commitment to his bride, the church, whom he sacrificially purchased with his own blood. Third, a pastor should be sober-minded, which is to be restrained in his conduct. His mind is to be aligned with the Lord's word in such a way that he demonstrates a level of self-control which prevents him from speaking unhelpful or inappropriate words. It keeps him from coarse joking or slanderous gossip. And it guards him from reacting too quickly when a matter would be better left to further thought and prayer. He is to be a level-headed kind of guy whom you can trust to carefully consider a matter and to think well before he speaks. Fourth, closely connected to this, he is to be self-controlled, which is to be in control of oneself with regard to his thought life, his free time, his use of money, and the enjoyment of all of God's many good gifts. This is a man who avoids extremes, who carefully considers how to act responsibly before God to bring him honor, and who is able to control his words and his actions before other people. Fifth, an overseer is to be respectable in that he is to have characteristics that evoke the admiration and the delight of others. This does not mean that he is to be a charismatic fella, but it does mean that when people think of him, they are actually attracted to the Savior by this man's kind and honorable life. This word respectable, it is the same word used back in chapter 2, verse 9, for women. ...who are to adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. So like their godly sisters, pastors are to put on characteristics that draw people to King Jesus. Sixth, they are to be hospitable. Which doesn't simply mean that they open up their homes to guests, though that is a very good example... But it means that they are kind and welcoming to others, including to strangers. After all, how could a pastor ever pasture well if he isn't willing to sacrifice himself, his money, his time, even his home for the benefit of other people? Whatever castle he has is used for the Lord, and whatever means he has been given are to be used to encourage others. Seventh, according to verse three, He is not to be a drunkard. Drunkenness and the abuse of substances are moral issues which showcase a heart that is not satisfied in Christ alone and that is not under the power of the Holy Spirit alone. Therefore, an elder must not be a drunkard who is given to drinking too much wine or who is committed to any other substance to the point that he surrenders his mental faculties and his opportunity to walk in clarity of mind with God. Rather, he is to be filled with the Holy Spirit through the Word, not full of wine, but full of the Spirit. Eight, he is not to be violent, but gentle. A violent person is a pugnacious bully. Who insists upon his own way, who insists that every word he states be immediately followed, and who backs up his attitude with various forms of threat. It doesn't necessarily mean that he threatens physical violence, only that if he doesn't get his way, he'll react sinfully in response. Instead of this, instead of this, a pastor is to be gentle, which is to be patient and yielding towards others waiting upon God to see obedience in people's lives. He's to be a shepherd that guides the sheep with tenderness, not a cowboy that drives the sheep with fear. And ninth, and similar to not being violent, an overseer must not be quarrelsome, which means that he doesn't seek to initiate unnecessary conflict. Instead, he desires to live peaceably and to promote peace with others. And then tenth, he is not to be a lover of money. Now, this doesn't mean that he's irresponsible in providing for his family or that he forsakes all earthly goods, but that his heart ambition is not wealth or personal gain. Rather, his love is to do God's will and to serve others and not to seek the fleeting benefits of earthly riches. So, Though no elder is perfect, he is to exemplify these life qualities. And if you think about these qualifications listed here for a moment, I think you'll recognize that these should also describe every person in the church. Because an elder must simply exemplify the godly life that every believer should already be striving to live. Now, one of these qualifications given in verse 2 can only be said of certain gifted men in the church. He says, able to teach. Now, notice this qualification is not expected of deacons in the next section of this letter that we're going to look at next week. Nor is it a moral qualification that every believer should strive to follow. This is only for certain qualified men who have been gifted by God in this important way to formally instruct the local church. And this attribute is for the benefit of the church body because the primary way that pastors shepherd people is through the instruction and the application of God's word, the Bible. Elders don't shepherd people by saying, this is what I know we should do because it's according to my own desires and ambitions. No, an elder says, this is what we should do because this is what God's word clearly tells us is what we should do. The singular word in the Greek here for able to teach, it is an adjective in the Greek that simply means skillful in teaching. A pastor An elder, an overseer, is to be skillful in teaching so that he can clearly communicate the word of God in order to build up God's people and protect them from all of the falsehood that inundates them every single day. Think of what we've considered already in this letter with regard to Pastor Timothy. In chapter 1, verse 3, Paul said, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. As we have learned, to charge is to preach Bible truth. And hear what Paul wrote to Timothy in the next letter to this young pastor. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, he said, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So a pastor is to be a man who is not only morally qualified, but who is capable, even skillful, at proclaiming the gospel, teaching biblical truth, correcting against theological error, and counseling God's people with the word of God. Now, not every elder, understand, not every elder is going to be skillful in teaching in the exact same way or to the same level. Some are going to be more skillful at preaching, Others are going to be more skillful at counseling. And still others will have sharp minds, enabling them to help avoid theological error in people when they teach them. But the key is, these men are capable of instructing people in the truth of the Bible. When the church gathers, there are men who are capable to teach them well, the scriptures, and all of its applications. They'll have different ability levels, but they must all be able In verses 4 through 7, we see that a few of these qualifications have to do with wisdom in the church. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? A pastor must be able to lead his own home with wisdom and skill, assuming he has a wife and he has children. Paul has already mentioned that he must be a one-woman man who demonstrates a faithful commitment to the wife whom he cherishes and leads with Christ-like humility. But he is also, we find out here, to keep his children submissive. Now this does not mean that he is a tyrant in the home who barks at his family, who makes them anxious all the time, and who obtains their submission through fear. Quite the opposite, in fact. You might get them to do that for a while, but it won't last. He is to model instead what Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. An overseer, in other words, is to be a man who lovingly teaches and disciplines his children through the instruction of God's word, by making the gospel central in his home, by teaching his kids the whole counsel of God, by modeling for them Christ-like service to others, by himself submitting to the authority of those whom God has put over him, by wisely correcting his kids when they sin and by investing his precious time and energies into those who have been put into his care. In other words, he is to be a godly dad. This is how a man manages his household well. And here's why this is so important. If a man does not manage his own household well, then how can he provide quality pastoral care for God's household The local church this is an argument from lesser to greater he must first demonstrate the ability to shepherd his small family unit before he can be entrusted to help shepherd the larger church family now this does not mean that his children will always make great choices or that the man is personally responsible for their faith or lack of faith in christ that is far above his pay grade friends But it does mean that he knows how to lead his family well according to the scriptures. And if he knows how to lead his family well, he may be capable of helping lead the local church. Now look at verse 6. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moving too fast to place men into this ministry of eldership is very dangerous for the church and also for that man. It is a ministry that comes with great responsibility that carries a measure of authority in its connection to the word. And a man who is not ready for such a ministry, a man who is either new to his faith or who has not yet been tested, he may become puffed up and conceited in this role. Pride of position might do that fellow great harm, as you can, I'm sure, imagine, as the authority might go to his head and lead him to become one of those same evil shepherds that we heard about at the beginning of this sermon. The ultimate danger that he'll fall into is the condemnation of the devil, Paul says. I don't think this means that he'll face the everlasting judgment separated from God that the devil will face. He'll face a similar similar, uh, fall, I think, from his position that the devil faced. So not everlasting judgment, but the similar fall of position that the devil, who was the glorious created angel of God, who fell from heaven. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet writes. It says in Isaiah 14, verses 13 through 15, of Satan, the devil, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of his first condemnation was being pushed down away from God. A man who is not yet ready to shepherd, and he becomes arrogant in this task, will fall in his pride. He will undermine his ministry, he will eventually lose his position, and he will face the sorrow of having brought injury to God's people, the church. So when it comes to selecting such men, It is very important for a church to not be hasty. And look with me at verse 7. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. The same devil who fell from God is the one who now seeks to trip up God's men in their task of shepherding. And what he loves to do, evidently, is to ruin a pastor's reputation with outsiders. Oh, how much the devil yearns to see a man's public testimony destroyed by way of prideful leadership or unfaithfulness over money or unfaithfulness to his wife. The devil, he he yearns to bring overseers into disgrace and to trap every church elder into his snares. We read about it, we hear about it all the time. So how important it is for a man to carefully watch over his public reputation. Those outside the church, they may despise his preaching because they despise his Savior, but it must be the aim of every shepherd to give them no further fuel for the fire To have a reputation before the world that is godly and praiseworthy. So friends, might I ask you to consider praying for your pastors? Let me conclude this before we go to the table with four applications. Number one, we must each strive to meet the general qualifications of these verses through the Spirit. Verses 1 through 7 are not verses for just a pastor. If you read through these and think, okay, well, that's for him, that's not for me, I'm just going to go on to the next, you're you're missing it. He is to be an example of what the local church should all be aspiring to be. When you read these qualifications and you see, hopefully, men in the church around you demonstrating this, your aim should be, I want to look like him Because he looks an awful lot like Jesus. That's the goal. Look to the example of Jesus Christ because the goal is to see you become more like Jesus Christ. So see in these qualifications that you should aspire to live out yourself. Secondly, we must pray for aspiring qualified men. At our church... We have taken on, and I hope this is your regular practice, the role every weekday of praying at 10.02 a.m. I have a reminder set on my phone. I would encourage you to have one on your phone. A reminder at 10.02 a.m. to pray that God would help us as a church to be effective in going out into the harvest field that is souls of people who need to know Jesus Christ. I hope that's what you're doing. We haven't stopped that. That's very much at the heart and center of what we want to be about as a church. 10.02 a.m., set a reminder, pray. Because Luke 10.2 says, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. Now, if you listen to that verse carefully, you hear it says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into his harvest. We're not in that verse at least directly praying for the souls of lost people, though that's good to include that. We're praying that God would make us faithful in going to lost people. So what I'm asking you to pray today is to pray that God would raise up aspiring qualified men in the church who can further spur us on so that we would be faithful in the harvest that is before us. Don't just pray for your pastors, your elders, your overseers now. Pray for all of those guys who are potential candidates for the role. Pray that God would raise up more. That our church would not just be a place that sees people converted and coming to Christ, but that we would be the kind of church that is sending out pastors and church planners and church revitalizers and missionaries, and that we would raise up homegrown elders who love to shepherd God's people here at Riverside. Pray that way. And then third, we must disciple and train aspiring qualified men. There are, and I'm confident I told you this when I first came and became pastor here, three primary pieces to my ministry that I see in the Bible. The three most important things as an elder I'm to be doing. Number one, I'm to preach and teach the Bible clearly and applicationally. Number two, according to Acts chapter 6 and other places, I think it's imperative that I invest a lot of time in prayer and that the other elders elders do too. And then number three, I think it's imperative when I read texts like this and places like 2 Timothy chapter 2, that I be very much involved in training up other men to do this very thing. Investing in future leaders. And what that means is I'm not always going to have the time for every single person in the church that I might invest in a man who's a potential candidate to be an elder in our church. You can't be in two places at once. You can't have the same relationship with every single person. You have to prioritize. Not because you like them better or love them more, but because you love Jesus and you want to see God do great things in men, in our church, as they build up our church. So we, pastors and elders, they can invest just in the people of today, or they can invest in certain men who are going to really have an impact tomorrow. That's the goal. So preaching, prayer, prayer and investing in future leaders in our church. We must disciple and train aspiring qualified men. It's why we have initiated our pastoral internship, which we're hoping to start this coming fall. Pray that God would use that to help us to raise up some men who can go for Jesus to serve him as shepherds. And then fourth today, we must not compromise on either desire or qualification when it comes with such men. I realized in the last couple of months that I've been, I've been pastoring for 16 years. and It's amazing, every once in a while you hit a year where it's kind of like a, wow, I've been doing this for a while or I've been at this for quite a while. 16 years seems like a long time to me. One of the things I've learned over the 16 years is there's a lot of people who will show enthusiasm for something for a while who will lose that over the course of a few years. I've learned that patience is a necessity when you invest in people. We must not compromise on desire or qualification. We must see men who have a deep desire to want to serve Christ as one of his shepherds in a church or to plant a church or to go as a missionary and plant churches. We must see men who have that desire and then men who actually have proven that they are qualified to do that role. We don't make compromises in some areas in order to get men out quicker, but we are serious about these qualifications. So would you pray this way? Jesus has given us the great gift of pastor-elder overseers, and Jesus has given us the task to raise up more. Would you pray unto that end? Let's pray together before we go to the Lord's table. Well, Lord, I am so thankful that you have given us the elders of our church that are here. I'm thankful, Father, that I am but one of four, and that you've given a variety of gifts, a variety of perspectives and backgrounds, but all unified around the one gospel of Jesus Christ and various other important theological points. And that, Lord, you've given us a church family to be able to shepherd. I pray that you would help all of our elders to do that well. Protect us, I pray. And I pray that our church, Lord, would see this and all of the other gifts that come from the gospel as that. Blessings that are from your good hand because you love us and you desire to see us come safely home until the day that we are all brought into the final flock. Oh Lord, would you help us to be faithful in this? As we go to the table, Lord, we remember that it is only because of what Jesus accomplished that we can be a church, that, Lord, we can have leaders, that we can be shepherded by you and your word. It is only through his body that was broken and his blood that was shed, the death that he experienced, Father, that we can be right before you, forgiven of our sins, and, Lord, to stand as your adopted children. Oh, Lord, help us to remember well what Christ has done, Lord, even as we do it in gratefulness over all that we have in Christ.